Hello, and welcome to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer, not just for Louisiana, but for the entire northern Gulf Coast. And now, introducing your host, Alan DeRitter. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Monday Night Football, this September 16th edition of our show. We always start off our show with a prayer. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear God, we thank you for letting us have soccer around and letting the weather be pretty good and protecting us from harm with hurricanes. Pray for those people affected by uh, the hurricanes in the Bahamas that um, they get the aid that they need and help us to remember as we strive to be good at soccer that there's greater things that we need to be helping others to strive for just to uh, make it through the day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, everybody, welcome to the show today. And uh, uh, today's show, um, I'm going to uh, kind of go over for y'all the the um, rule changes uh, that have been going on um, and, uh, and get some clarification because there was a lot of problems uh, with them this weekend that I saw. And then uh, in our second segment, I really would like to talk to y'all about some disturbing things I saw on the fields this weekend. Okay, Um and of course, it's my opinion. Want to hear your opinions? So let us know what you think on um, Monday Night Football's Twitter page or Facebook page, or you can actually record your comments directly on this on the Anchor app if you listen to our show on Anchor. So um, uh, our Twitter and um, Facebook handle was F U T B O L. And we want to hear from you, and definitely uh, we need some more input from all you high school coaches as to who you think the favorites are in your districts, and because uh, those episodes are coming up, and I'd hate for you to be left out of the conversation, okay? Anyhow, before we get started with today, I want to thank our sponsor, uh, Lafouche Soccer Club's uh, Sugarfest uh, Tournament, which is going to be on October 11th through 13th. Uh, the prices are incredibly uh, reasonable. Um, older kids around 425. The younger teams uh, 200. To U8 uh, teams are 90. So. Uh, it's it's a wonderful experience. Uh, you're surrounded by Sugar King, and uh, I've seen a lot of my players actually go and and, and chew a few stalks. Uh, the food is incredible. Uh, what other festival can you go to where you can get griots? If I'm pronouncing that correctly, I mean it's just it's 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 a festival, and so the teams have to come together. They want to come together where the food is. And there's a lot of fellowship that goes on with that. Uh, and, and I think it's really a great experience for every, for one and all. So the deadline for the tournament is October 2nd. Uh, go to their website. Um, all you have to do is type in Sugarfest Soccer Tournament on your Google uh, or whatever you search engine you use, and you, it'll take you right to their site, okay, on Sync Sports. So anyway, I thank them for the show tonight. And uh, with support, we can do so much more. All right, uh, the rule changes, okay? Uh, I'm taking it straight from the book, y'all. Uh, th this weekend, I saw some things that I just don't understand, okay? Uh, anyhow, 
Laws 8 and 9, I don't have a problem with, okay? Uh, this is how it states it. If the play is stopped inside the penalty area, the ball will be dropped for the goalkeeper. If it is stopped outside the penalty area, the ball will be dropped for one player uh, of the team that last touched the ball at the point of the last touch. In all cases, all other players on both teams must be at least four, four or five yards away. If the ball touches the referee or another match official and goes into the goal, team possession changes or a promising attack starts, a drop ball is awarded. Wow. So their their justification of that is um, is the – this. I'm going to read it word for word, no editation. The current drop ball procedure often leads to a manufactured restart, which is exploited unfairly. An example is kicking the ball out for a throw in deep into the opponent's half or an aggressive confrontation. Returning the ball to the team that last played it restores what was lost when the play was stopped, except in the penalty area where it is simpler to return the ball to the goalkeeper. To prevent that team from gaining an unfair advantage, all players from both teams, except the player receiving the ball, must be 4.5 yards away. Uh, it can be very unfair if team if a team gains advantage or scores a goal because the ball is hit a match official, especially the referee. Uh, Y'all, I... I don't know. I don't know if I agree with this. I've always taught my players that the referee's part of the field. Okay? I don't care if it's a bounce ball off the goalpost that hits the referee or whatnot. He's part of the field. And how the ball drops, it drops. You know, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how how people are going to really uh, live with this rule as, it, as it's implemented. It's a very rare event, though, however, um, because players are taught that the referee's part of the field, so avoid the referee at all costs, you know? So that, that law doesn't bug me the most. Law 13 is what bugs me. Okay, I'm going to read it word for word and then give you my spin on it. When there is a wall of three or more defenders, the attackers are not allowed within one yard of the wall. An attacker less than one yard from the wall when the kick is taken will be penalized with an indirect free kick. Are you kidding me? Anyhow, when the defending team takes a free kick in their own penalty area, um, the ball is in play once the kick is taken. It does not have to leave the penalty area before it can be played. Okay, and uh, okay, so look. Their explanation first, okay? I'm um, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Attackers standing very close to or in the defensive wall at a free kick uh, can often cause management problems and waste time. There is no legitimate tactical justification for, tact for attackers to be in the wall, and their presence is against the spirit of the game and often damages the image of the game. I wholeheartedly disagree. Man, do I disagree. Okay, how many how many uh, Brazilian games have you seen? Uh, of course, I'm talking as an old man, watching the game for decades. But one of their best ideas, and Japan used to do this too, because they try to emulate the Brazilians, was you put a guy in the wall. And if it's a direct kick, and, and they're dumb enough to not put a player behind your player in the wall, what you do is you just drill the ball stomach height uh, and that person ducks and it goes through the wall. And usually the, the goalie is defending the opposite side of the wall. And so it goes in, especially if you can bend it sort, you know, away from the keeper. 
Uh, and not only that, I, I find the seal the wall helps the play tremendously because of the fact that if I play it to a player who's sealing the wall, those four players in the wall are not going to be able to defend uh, the pass that that person's going to make on an indirect free kick. And you can actually tee up the uh, the person taking the kick to take the shot from outside the wall. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I, I know this. I know why they're doing this though, because a lot of teams are just wasting time creating confrontation. You know, and the referees are really though supposed to card a player who pushes another player out of the wall, and that and that's that's going on. And the players understand that if an offensive player is in the wall, that's a distinct advantage. And uh, I don't know how they're going to deal with indirect kicks. Uh, I, I would like to get a referee on, on board to, to tell me how they're going to implement this with indirect kick with indirect kicks that are uh, sorry for that noise indirect kicks that are taken in the 18 the penalty area um, I usually get my team to go onto the goal line on an indirect kick like that offensively if make sure that they're onside and you could just bounce it off their heads or, or defensively I want them I want them uh on the goal line. So does that mean now that if I spread, uh, put two three-man walls or three three-man walls uh, a yard apart, that the defender can't get the defenders can't can't get in there? I mean, the attackers rather can't get in there for their chance. Uh, oh my! This law, this law. Uh, I really have serious problems with this law, and I saw it already enforced. Okay, uh, and, and really to the detriment of another team uh, on Saturday, uh, where a card was issued because a kid was too close, and then the other team got the the free kick, and it led to a goal. It's just I, I don't get that, man. Oh, <clears throat> anyhow. Uh, the other one I can understand, the defending team taking a free kick in their own penalty area. I mean, that's been going on now, and we've been exposed to it, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's okay. The, the, their rationale is the experiment where a defending team free kick in the penalty area, the ball is played once it is kicked, and it does not have to leave the penalty area, has produced faster, more constructive restarts. Opponents must... Re main outside the penalty area at least nine meters away until the ball is in play that same change has been made to the goal kick so that's going to help teams offensively and uh, uh, but I saw I saw defensive players in the 18 um, this weekend too so it's going to take a while for uh, for this to get um, uh, for us to get used to it okay um and the goal celebrations law, uh, I like a lot. Okay, I think it's ridiculous that players take off their shirts when they score a goal. The, the, the change is a yellow card is awarded for a legal celebration uh, remains even if the goal is disallowed. Okay? Cautions for inappropriate goal celebrations apply even if the goal is disallowed at the impact. Um, and it's the same as if the goal was awarded. I, I understand that, and I agree with that. So, uh, the International Football Association Board has put these into effect, uh, and uh, I'm curious to see if this is going to bleed into high school. And if it doesn't bleed into high school rules, uh, then then the confusion the referees are going to have, especially the referees who are just getting started and are 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 
coach, I mean, uh, refereeing uh, uh, using these rules and then referee, refereeing using the National Federation of High School rules, which is a total another conversation for another day. Why in the world does the United States high schools, why, why do they think that they know more than FIFA about the laws of the game? I, I mean, it's that that's kind of kind of silly. It's always been silly. It's always been a, a, um, a point of contention. All right. Um, anyway, uh, now there's some more. There's some more. Handballs. Uh, deliberate handballs remains on offense. The following handball situations will be an accident. Even if accidental, though, will be a free kick. Okay. If the ball goes into the goal after touching an attacking player's hand or arm, if a player gains control of possession of the ball after it's touched their hand or arm, okay, and especially if it creates a goal-scoring opportunity. If the ball touches a player's hand or arm, which has made their body unnaturally bigger, and the ball touches a player's hand or arm when it is above the shoulder, um, unless they've played the ball deliberately to their hand, okay? And, and so they try to give as many scenarios that would not uh, uh, result in a free kick. And one of them is a a ball touches a player's hand or arm directly from their own head or body foot and the head or body foot another player is also close or near uh, the ball touches a player's hand or arm which is close to their body and has not made their body unnaturally bigger if a player is falling and the ball touches uh, their hand and arm when it is between their body and the ground to support the body, but not extended to make the body bigger. And if the goalkeeper attempts to clear, release into play a throw-in or deliberate kick from a teammate, but the clearance fails, the goalkeeper can then handle the ball. Okay, um, so their explanation for this is like a page long, y'all, uh, and I don't think it's going to clear up the handball uh, situation. I mean, I, I want to give my comments on this first. To me, that's where referees are needed. Okay, an accident. If a ball, I've always been comfortable with the rule. If the ball hits a player's hand, it's way different than if a player's hand hits the ball on purpose. And that's the definition between a, a non-call and a call. Anyhow. This is uh, their explanation. Greater clarity is needed for handball, especially on those occasions when non-deliberate handball is an offense. The rewording follows a number of principles. Number one, football does not accept the goal being scored by a hand or arm, even if accidental. Hmm. Uh, two, football expects a player to be penalized for handballs if they gain possession or control of the ball from their hand or arm and gain a major advantage um, and a goal-scoring opportunity. I saw that this weekend, okay? And no call was made. Uh, next, it is natural for a player to put their arm between the body and the ground to, to, when falling. Duh. All right. Next, uh, having the hand or arm above the shoulder height is rarely a natural position. And when a player is taking a risk by having the hand or arm in that position, including when sliding, that makes sense. If the ball comes off the player's body or off another player uh, of either team who is close by and to the hands or arms, it is often impossible to avoid contact with the ball. And finally, 
when the goalkeeper clearly kicks or tries to kick the ball into play, this shows no intention to handle the ball. So if the clearest attempt is unsuccessful, the goalkeeper can then go pick up the ball without committing an offense. Man. Okay. Now we have uh, the next law. Law 8 is kickoffs. The team that wins the toss can now choose to take the kickoff or which goal to attack. Previously, they only had the choice of which goal to attack. Okay, I like that. Uh, that's definitely a, um, um, a reflection of, of I think, uh, us in America. All right. Anyhow, their explanation is recent laws have made the kickoff more dynamic. A goal can be scored directly from the kickoff. So captains winning the toss often asked to take the kickoff. All right. Now, um, this is one that Louisiana people need to listen to. It's, it's, it's about medical breaks. Uh, the difference between a cooling break, 90 seconds and three minutes, and drinks, um, drink breaks that are maximum one minute. In the interest of player safety, competition rules may allow in certain weather conditions, cooling breaks, all right, to allow the body temperature to fall. They're different from drink breaks, which are for rehydration, okay? But one thing I think they need to emphasize is all weekend this weekend, uh, I was at the Gator Fest, and those water breaks became halftime speeches, okay? Uh, uh, and the way I understand the spirit of the game is there should be no, uh, like, team organize, organized coaching. Of course, you can still talk to your players. There's no stopping that when they're coming to get hydrated. But to actually sit down and have a halftime, and it changes the whole complexion of the game. Major changes are made. Um, I, I saw it. I saw it, okay, and uh, uh, this weekend. And I don't think that's the spirit of the game, uh, in my opinion. All right, the next rule, Law 14, uh, penalty kicks. T the team's penalty taker can have quick uh, treatment assessment and then take the kick. Okay, the goalkeeper must not be touching the goalposts or crossbars or nets. They must and they must not be moving. Okay, all right. The goalkeeper must have at least part of one foot on or in the line with the goal line when the kick is taken. He cannot stand behind the line. Okay, which. Uh, is a, is a tactic a lot of people I mean, back in the old days we used to do. Anyhow, uh, their explanation is it is unfair if the kicker needs assessment or treatment and then has to leave the field and cannot take the penalty kick. Okay? Um, the referee must not single signal for the penalty kick to be taken if the goalkeeper is touching the goalpost, crossbar, or net, or if they're moving. Uh, the goalkeeper has kicked or shaken them. Okay. Oh, okay. So they kicked the goalpost and it's still shaking. Wow. And goalkeepers are not permitted to stand in front or behind the line. Allowing the goalkeeper to have one foot touching the goal line uh, when the penalty kick is taken is a more practical approach. It is easier to identify if both feet are on the line. The kicker can stutter in the run. It is reasonable that the goalkeeper could take one step of anticipation of a kick. So, um, so it looks like they're going to allow that step to be taken. Um, uh, I, I, when that step is taken, it's still a judgment call by the referee. Uh, I've just been seeing goalkeeper activity and penalty kicks to be uh, um, to be way too much. Okay, and uh, um, 
Again, I want to read that again. As the kicker can stutter in the run, it is reasonable that the goalkeeper can take a step in anticipation of the kick. All right. All right. So when is that timed? You know, that that's something that every referee might not call the same way. Player's equipment. Multi. This is law four. Multicolored patterned uh, undershirts are allowed if they're the same as the sleeve of the main shirt. Okay? Um, that makes sense. All right? Law 12. If the referee is about to issue a card, but the non-offending team takes the free kick quickly and creates a goal-scoring opportunity, the referee can delay the card until the next stoppage if the offending team was not distracted by the referee. Okay, now this is something I have a problem with. All right, so their explanation is occasionally an attack is stopped by a cautionable or sending off offense, and the attacking team takes a quick free kick, which restores the lost attack. It is clearly unfair if this new attack is stopped to issue the card. However, if the referee has distracted the offending team by starting the card procedure, the quick free kick is not allowed. Okay? Um, uh, for a major offense, the player will be cautioned and not sent off uh, for a yellow card, for, for red card... Uh, uh, for a red card because the attack was restarted when advantage was applied. Okay? So... Um, I like to take our free kicks quickly, okay, after somebody has fouled us. And it is an advantage to the other team if the referee stops play, issues the card with a lot of drama, and allows all the defenders to get back in position. Uh, I like to take the quick the kick free uh, free kick quickly, um, card or no card, but I like I don't think this is gonna um, change things very much. I think most most cards situations the referee's going to want to be able to blow a, a second whistle hmm the game's changing y'all it's changing all right law three now a player who is being substituted must leave the field by the nearest point on the touchline or goal line unless the referee indicates the player can leave quickly or immediately at the halfway line or a different point because of safety or injury okay i kind of like that i kind of don't i've always taught my players to come out to, to the team bench, but we all know that people can just waste two minutes of time walking to be substituted. And so their, um, and their explanation is exactly the same. To stop a player who's being substituted wasting time by leaving slowly at the halfway line, which is not a law requirement. Okay, I didn't know that, all right? The player must leave at the nearest point as with an injury. Unless the referee indicates otherwise. For example, if the player can leave quickly at the halfway line, there is a safety security issue or the player leaves on a stretcher. The player must go immediately to the technical area or dressing room to avoid problems with substitutes, spectators, or match officials. A player who infringes the spirit of this law should be sanctioned for unsporting behavior uh, like delaying the re uh, play. Okay. All right, everybody, just one more left. Okay. But uh, um, it's, it's really important for all you coaches out there, definitely for you officials, to familiarize yourself with all of these things. Okay. All right. Law five and 12. A team official guilty of misconduct will be shown a yellow or red card uh, if the offender cannot be identified. The senior coach who is in the technical area at the time will receive the card. Okay, so 
Uh, their explanation, the experiment with cards for misconduct by team officials has been successful and has revealed many benefits at all levels, including for young referees dealing with difficult adult coaches. If the offender cannot be identified, the senior team official, usually the main coach in the technical area, will receive the card. One problem I have with this is it's hard to control your parents. Okay, now, if they're in the technical area, you got to control them. I don't know if they're going to extend this to uh, players, uh, parents and fans berating players from the stands. I don't think that's what this is uh, This is uh, talking about, though. Okay, yeah, I think it's just the technical area. Um, um, but, boy, wouldn't it be nice if the referees could... could if, if the other teams can be held accountable for the behavior of their parents. I try to be, uh, and as as y'all know, you know, you're only as successful as you can be. It's hard to control what's being said in the stands, and some of what's being said in the stands is quite, quite ugly, okay? Um, uh, I've always been a proponent of cheer for your team. Don't cheer against another team. Anyhow. Uh, that's the wrap-up of these laws. You might need to press rewind and listen to them again. You can also look at them. Um, there, uh, if you look at, um, just if you put if you put in your search engine IFAB changes of the game, or if you go to Louisiana's website um, playlouisianasoccer.org and you just dig a little, it has a little link for rule changes and then summary of the rule changes. Yeah, by the way, I've been reading you the summaries. The rule changes are like the pages, pages long. So, anyhow, if you uh, it would be uh, it would behoove all the coaches and definitely the referees to to read all of the uh, pages and the rationales of the rule changes. It's going to be different. Okay, we're going to take a break, uh, and then when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about some things that uh, that really bothered me about what I saw this weekend uh, uh, at the Gator Fest. Hello, this is Coach Alan DeRitter, and one of the benefits of living in South Louisiana are the many fall festivals you can go to. One problem, however, for us soccer people is that we're out on the fields and are pretty tired after games and usually we head home instead of going out and enjoying them. Well, one solution I've found for this problem throughout the years is attending the Lafouche Soccer Association Sugar Fest. You get all of the great food and festivities along with over 90 teams participating in great soccer. This year's Sugar Fest is October 11th to 13th at the Raceland Soccer Complex. The cost is some of the most reasonable rates for any tournament held anywhere. Apply at SigSports.com or just type SugarFest on any search engine to apply. You gotta hurry for the deadline to get in. It's October 2nd. So come on out and join me at this year's Lafouche Soccer SugarFest, October 11th through 13th in Les Elebantons Roulet. And welcome back to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. And now our second segment uh, won't take me very long, but it's still something I want to cover. Um, some disturbing stuff that I saw during the weekend. Um, I kind of took a step back, watched my coaches coach, and then helped them uh, solve some of the problems that we we're having getting getting started and all. And um, and one thing that kept coming up when I left the sidelines. 
over on on the bench areas, like not the bench areas, the uh, areas where everybody stands around, is the topic of ineligible players. Look, everybody. Um, I heard a lot of grief that LSA should be doing due diligence and trying to police everything, and I, I don't think that will be effective. Uh, and a lot of us don't want to turn each other in. Um, it, it sets a bad precedent, I guess. I don't know what it is. Uh, um, I always try to tell all my kids, you know, they always look down upon quote-unquote rats, whereas I think if you look at any situation where a person did quote-unquote rat on their friends, it might help their friends become better people uh, because of the fact that uh, if they're doing something wrong, uh, that behavior needs to stop, okay? And... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think there's things called sins of omission. That's the theological uh, point we could talk about on another program. But if you know somebody's doing something wrong and you're not going to do anything about it, be quiet at least, okay? Um, but I'm telling you, there are ineligible players all over the place, okay? And coaches know, okay? Um, uh, birth certificates have been falsified. I always make sure I bring birth certificates with me to the games uh, and club games to make sure that I can't be accused of having an overage player. And uh, uh, I think that's that's got to be a requirement. You know, when I check in, I'm trying to make sure I check in all my birth certificates to show them my kids have legitimate birth certificates. But I remember finding a kid one year. This was like 10 years ago. He wanted to play on this team, and he brought me his birth certificate. And he had played for us two years earlier, okay, and the birth certificate was altered, okay, uh, so he could keep playing as a 19-year-old, as a excuse me, as a 20-year-old, and which that's illegal. Oh, who cares? Who's going to ch- – it, it matters, y'all. It matters. There's a big difference, just like a John Curtis football team. They're almost all 19 years old. There's a big difference between a 19-year-old and a 17-year-old. If there wasn't, we wouldn't have age brackets, okay? Can a 17-year-old and a 16-year-old play with a 19-year-old? Yes, but if they're paying $700 to play in a tournament against people their own age, they should be playing against people their own age, you know? So, look, I think it's time that people step up and show the evidence, especially when it's a transferred player and they wind up playing. I mean, it, it's that blatant out there where a kid transfers from one club to another club and then plays that same team uh, or that same club, rather, not the same team, um, in a club that's younger, a team that's younger, rather. I got club and team kind of confused. But I've, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in soccer innovations. And I told my coaches, we need to. Yeah, I need to get names. And I, and I need I need data, and I'll be glad to uh, give Tucker Reynolds all the information. I talked to Tucker Reynolds about it on the AGM, and he was pretty clear that he's not going to be a policeman. You give me evidence, he can go. He can go out there and verify whether the team is cheating. And uh, uh, I think that's what we need to do. And there's lots of evidence out there. If you just look at God's soccer records. Um, especially with your own club, for goodness sakes. Okay, if you could show that you registered a player as a as a uh, as a O nine, and, and then he starts playing with a team that's a that's an eleven, you know, uh, then you got him, you know. And all you coaches who are cheating, what are you teaching the kids? You don't think the kids know? 
you know? At the, lo- at the lower ages, they might not really know or even care, but uh, I'm talking about the U8 level, whatever, but but cheating at the U16 level, cheating at the U15 level, those kids know you're cheating, okay? And if you're teaching them to cheat in, in sport, they're going to cheat on their on their families, or their spouses, uh, on their taxes, you name it. The sky's the limit because cheating becomes a habit, okay? So um, I don't really consider it ratting everybody. I consider it just reporting. If you know somebody is cheating, those people have got to stop. The next thing that really bothered me was watching the younger kids that are playing their first year of 11 v. 11 ball. The New Orleans teams, you know, now really all the Louisiana teams uh, um, went to this no-heading rule, and I think it's national, you know, but I just keep seeing the ball hit the ground, hit the ground, hit the ground. I see kids not using their head because they're so used to grabbing the ball from the air with their feet, and which delays the game, helps the defense, and and usually resolves in a very very bad touch. And and the the thing that bothered me the most is that now whenever somebody's head is touched by anything, it's like in a it's 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 going to the opposite extreme. Now, did we not? Um, um, treat head injuries correctly and back in our day, back in the day 25, 30 years ago? Absolutely. We would call it getting your bell rung, just get back out there, kid. Um, but now the opposite is the case. Oh, his, some, something touched his head. So you go check out, check out the player, and then that player is out <laughs> for the rest of the game, all right? Because the referee doesn't want to be sued for allowing a player with a head injury. And um, I checked this player out totally uh, this weekend, he passed all of the um, concussion protocol that I've learned throughout 38 years of coaching. Uh, but then a trainer came, and the trainer ruled the kid ineligible to play the rest of the game just as a precaution, which which is I, – I can get that. I can get that. Okay, these are younger kids. and uh, uh, But he really had none of the signs of the concussion. Now, concussion can manifest itself hours later. The next day, even so, concussions are hard to handle. But if 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 everybody who gets their head touched uh, has to sit up for concussion protocol, the game's going to change. It's got to change. Uh, and I tell you this: if if FIFA allows heading, okay, uh, I mean. How, how are these kids going to develop? To me, the, the most critical developmental years for skill development. Are, are the 10-year-olds under. And if they're just heading the ball now for the first time as a 13-year-old or as a 12-year-old, uh, I mean, they can learn the skill, don't get me wrong, but you ought to just see what's going on on these fields where people are even yelling, good job, when they're allowing the ball to hit the ground because they don't want to hit it with their heads or, or they don't want to confront another player. And I had a player... Um, uh, this weekend, a younger player coming to the sideline, angry that he'd been "quote unquote" fouled when really there was no foul committed. But since he fell down, and since the other person initiated contact to go for a fifty-fifty ball, he looked at that as a foul because now the mentality in their heads is, "Well, if anybody touches me, it's a foul. It's got to be bad. All this con- contact is bad." And and uh, uh, if you're watching the World Game, contact is. 
the game. <laughs> okay, it, it is the game. So um, watch these kids continually develop. The kids, the no no header generation. Uh, I, I think it's going to get um, worse before it gets better. If heading really is dangerous, okay, we ought to ban it from the game. All right, it's that it's that simple. Uh, and I see. Um, um, Medical studies go back and forth on this, back and forth, back and forth. And uh, until I see a definitive study, um, I'm going to still teach heading as a skill, especially at high school. Uh, and not with the youth. I'm not doing it with our youth players now. And, uh, and, and the result is really bad decisions made on the soccer field. Okay, well, that's my rant for, for the month. Uh, and... Uh, if you want to rant back, please do so by going to Monday Night Football and also uh, on Twitter and, and Facebook or give me a voice message on the um, – on on the uh, – anyhow, on Anchor. There's a little thing where you can give a voice message. And please be sure to register for the Sugar Fest. I hope to see all of y'all there. You can talk to me there. I like to talk – I was talking to people at the Gator Fest. You, you uh, get a chance to meet and you find out things that you need to do a show on like this. And um, anyhow, the Sugar Fest is October 11th through 13th. Um, the deadline is, I think, October 2nd. And the, the prices are reasonable. And again, uh, you, you can't beat the food. I'd go just for the food, okay? My best friend lives out there, and uh, uh, it's worth the drive, okay? And really from the New Orleans area, uh, and the, it's hardly not even an hour drive away, okay? And uh, definitely worth the um, the trip. And all you people in North Louisiana and Western Louisiana, the, the hotel rates are ridiculously uh, cheap. Uh, and and uh, once you go to the uh, website, you'll see that there's special rates for you uh, for hotels, depending on what kind of luxury you're looking for. I mean, I'm just looking for a bed. <laughs> Anyhow, um, uh, all you high school coaches, give me your information about your districts, all you district chair people, please, so that I don't leave anybody out of our high school preview editions, which is coming up real soon. Okay, we're only looking at uh, barely over a month before high school starts. Anyhow, God bless you and your families, and, uh, and I wish you all the best. 